again, I would ask that you just be praying for and make sure to be here uh, for revival next week. Uh, I have had John Oswald come and preach revival at every church that I've served as pastor. He is maybe the premier Old Testament scholar in the Western Hemisphere. He is working now with Ph.D. candidates at Asbury, uh, training them up for years. He was here at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson. But you will be blessed and you will be grown in your faith. He is also somebody that I will say in front of you, and I would ask you not repeat this, but as one of his former pastors when I served at Christ United Methodist Church, I feared Dr. Joan Oswald. Uh, It's always nerve-wracking to preach in front of a seminary professor. Isn't that right, Dr. Boyd? Where's Dr. Boyd? He's here somewhere today. Yeah. So it's, it's, very, it's nerve-wracking to do that. Men and, and women who give of themselves their whole lives uh, to training up pastors. Well, John Oswald has written a phenomenal set. He's got a commentary on Isaiah as well as other books. But that's his book is Isaiah. Well, it was my turn to preach at Christ Church. And I just felt the Lord's leading to preach on Isaiah 43. Karen, his wife, who will be coming to be with us as well, called me that week for something else. And I said, now, now Mrs. Oswald, y'all are going to be out of town this week, right? Doing some revival or seminar? Oh, no. We heard your preaching, and we're looking forward to it. We'll be there. This, again, Isaiah wrote Isaiah, but really, John Oswald helped write it. That's how I feel. I'm so intimidated by him. And so I preach on Isaiah 43. At the end of the service, John makes his way to come down to speak to me. And you'll get to hear him preach if you haven't already. He came down, he said, Barry. And I looked him in the eyes, just shaking and sweating, and said, Dr. Oswald, I probably don't want to hear this. And he went, okay. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing for one year, two years. Finally, I go to McGee to be the pastor there. I invite him down to preach revival. I tell that story right in front of him. Nothing. I invite him three years after that. Come preach revival again. I remind him of that story. Nothing. Finally, I go to Wesley Biblical Seminary, preach their chapel. I tell that story looking directly at him. After the service, he walks up and says, you did okay. So that's all I got. So be here for revival just to slap him on the back and say, good job, John, for humbling our pastor. Here's where we are. We're in Matthew 27, just a few verses. Normally, you know, I like to walk through a passage, but today we're going to jump around a little bit. So if you'll turn in your bulletin to your sermon notes, because we want to catch what we're starting today, and then we'll pick up in two weeks. What, who are the witnesses of the cross? Who was there? Much like we did at Christmas for two years, who were the witnesses there? What do they tell us about Jesus? But then also, What do they tell us about ourselves and our response to the cross-bearer? What do they tell us about our response to Christ? So we're going to be looking at this morning, who are those women, but what, what do they do for Jesus, and then what do they tell us is to be our response uh, to Jesus? Because they don't really get to say much of anything. They're giving testimony through how they live and that's so much of our testimony we we spoke for weeks about the importance of a verbal testimony faith comes by hearing and preaching but what are they doing with their lives and how what kind of ministry is that and what does that say to to our ministry to christ and to the world now before we even get into 
their ministry, their, this really is a ministry of surprise. If you go back to the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, you know that genealogy well. And when you walk through that genealogy, it is interesting. Matthew, who's a Jew writing to Jews and, and is sharing that genealogy, he doesn't just do men. That, ge- that genealogy includes several women, women who were a- actually, some of them, outsiders, even one of them who might have had a, a different kind of past that you wouldn't think you'd bring up in a genealogy, but they're still here. They get to be a part of the witness. Now, again, for us as Christians, knowing there's no, there's no male or female or slave or free, we know that. But to say that to that culture, to confront that culture, it, it really might have been for them a surprise, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Matter of fact, you just get a few pages into Matthew's gospel, and it's surprise after surprise who gets to be a part of the gospel story. Matthew himself, a tax collector. Him? We know what Zacchaeus was doing. What about Matthew? Him? Yeah. Um, It's a good word to us as we start this series. I don't know about you, but I've counted myself out before. And maybe you've counted yourself out before. Jesus just won't let us do that. Matthew just won't let us do that. You wouldn't have included women in the genealogy as a witness to Christmas. Of course you do. Well, you wouldn't have included, uh, of course you do. This is just like Matthew and just like Luke and all the Gospels to to bring people to the cross, but to also bring all of us to witnessing. All of us have a word uh, to say. All of us have a ministry to give. It's one of the things I love that our denomination said eight years ago at General Conference, or thir- uh, 11 years ago. We don't just serve through our prayers, presence, uh, uh, gifts, and service. All of us are witnesses, every last one of us. And so this is a great reminder in Matthew's gospel. All of us are called to testify and to minister. And here's the ministry, if you're following in your notes. First, it's this ministry of caring. You see it in Matthew 27, 55, that they're caring for his needs. When you get to Revelation, there is a separating that happens in Revelation. Murderers, liars, and idolaters. But if you just turn a chapter over, or we go back, excuse me, a couple chapters to Matthew 25, what's the separation there between the sheep and the goats? It's interesting the emphasis Jesus places here. Did you, did you visit? People were hungry. What did you do about it? People were naked. What did you do about it? So another thing I love about our denomination is this constant push to serve those who are on the margins, this push to bless and to help those who are struggling would i have gone to delta grace a couple of times through this church without this church i don't know if i'd have gone up to the delta but there if you've been there through our church and been up to delta grace there's a real struggle and over two dozen people over this weekend said yes we're going we're going to minister to those who are struggling and so jesus has already shared this with these who have been following him in matthew 25 and here they're doing what he has said For those who are struggling, those who are in real need, you minister to them. And that's the first part of their ministry, to walk with him and to minister to his needs. And it's the ministry of presence. Here, it's the next point. This ministry of presence in Luke 23, 27. Let me read you that verse. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. 
We've talked and joked together before about some of the terrible things that we can say to somebody who's at a time of loss or grief. We mean it, we're well-intentioned when we say that, but sometimes we say things that it's not the right time or we say them too early. So many times what people need in that moment is just somebody to be with them, or a scripture would say, weep with those who weep. And these women have a ministry of presence. One of the great ministries you and I will have is just to be with people in their struggle and in their loss. And here they are wailing for him, mourning for him when many are not doing that. What a ministry it is uh, through them. Now, I love this next verse if you go back and look in Luke, though. And this is just like Jesus, and this is part of their testimony. They're mourning and wailing for him. But what is it that Jesus says to them? Do you remember? Don't. Don't don't weep for me, but for yourselves and for your children. I mean, it's been that consistent theme, that reminder from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He should have come to have been served by us. But what does he say? I didn't, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And here is where Jesus is on, on the road to his cross and should have said, yes, wail for me. Weep over me what I'm about to experience for you and for your children. But it's this beautiful reminder of, of our Savior. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. It's just like him to be that kind of self-giving. It's just like him. In moments from this moment, we'll see him forgiving from the cross. We'll see him reach out to a robber on the cross. In a moment that should have been all about himself, there was ever a time to just turn in on yourself. To have people betraying, to be that physical pain, whatever was transacted spiritually. And there's no turning in. It's turning out. And so through these women ministering to Jesus with the ministry of presence, we see him ministering to them. And then skipping over to uh, Mark chapter 15, 40 through 41, we see that same kind of ministry. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. And this is, I want to add this extra here in 41. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Many. Many were following and many were ministering. Y'all, it's one of the great ministries we have as a church is this ministry of caring in this ministry of presence. And church, we have to do that. Y'all, we were blessed with our statistical reports this year. You know what number we're at? 2,629 folks are part of our church family. Now, is that true? No, because we don't call the rolls because I don't want anybody to kill me that I cut the wrong person from the I know I'm supposed to do that, but we don't, we don't do that very well in the Methodist church is, is go through the rolls. We ought to, but we don't. That's 2,629. You know what that means? Linda and Ben and Corey and Barry are going to need you if we're going to have a ministry of presence together. It's a reminder, again, of the importance of you to be a part of a small group or a Sunday school um, to really be able to do it. Now, listen, if you have a need, I'll be there. If you have a surgery, you'll let me come, I will be there. But to have folks walk with us with 2,629, uh, and that's the design of the church. We need to be there for each other. We have to be connected with each other and call on 
each other. They will not let Jesus face this alone. His disciples do, with the exception of John, we believe. Uh, they, these women, will not let Jesus face this alone. They offer him this great gift. Y'all, in our culture, in the busyness of our culture, in the racing of our culture, in the selfishness of our culture, what a gift when the church says, not me, but you. When the church says, I'm going to stop what I'm doing for me and for my family and for how can I be present with you? They would not let him face this alone. The ministry of presence and the ministry of caring. And then also this, this word from Mark 15, 47. It's just a simple word where they watch his burial and they watch this tomb be sealed and then they kind of leave. Now, that's a fact we just kind of walk, walk over because we know later they're going to venerate the tomb. Uh, but why not that day? Why do they wait till Sunday? Why not late Friday or on Saturday? Because we've just seen they're risking to be with him. They care. They're present. Why won't they go on late Friday or Saturday? It's Sabbath. And it's a ministry, really, of holiness. It's a ministry of holiness. It's a gift of the fact, this reminder, and I'll just be very brief here. It's a, a reminder of the importance of keeping that day holy before the Lord. And so they honor him, and they bless him, and they bless his ministry by keeping Sabbath. In my last church, our pianist, uh, her mother had died, and I got to go attend that funeral. And one of the testimonies of, of uh, our pianist's mom's life is that she never sat still. You know some of those people. You may be one of those people. Just can never sit still. Always serving others, blessing others. Never would be still. But in the testimony that was given, the remembering of her life at the funeral, they said, the family said there was one time where she would be still, that they ever saw her be still. You know when? Sunday afternoon. She took Sabbath seriously. And it was so much taken seriously that when she would finally recline, right? When she would finally recline on Sunday afternoon just to rest, she would lie on the bed in a way across the bed so as not to mess up anything, so not to do any work on, Saturday, on Sunday. Can you imagine that? Why? Because I want to honor the Lord's day. I don't want to break that. Now, they're going to be there, we know, Sunday morning. Church, it's a good reminder to us. We will not truly care for people if we don't care about the commands of God. We just, our witness and our blessing and our serving of people that we love will not be what it is to be if we don't love the word of God and the commands of God. It's a ministry really of holiness in their care of Jesus and for what he preached. And then down to Luke 24, 21. It's a ministry of holiness, but it's also a ministry of completion. Luke 24, 1 says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Their ministry to Jesus was not over on Friday afternoon. 
And so they would go and faithfully prepare that body as many would for days or after that, except they stopped on Sunday because he wasn't there. But there would have been a season of venerating him. And so they, they honor that. And as you heard Renee say today, Joseph and Nicodemus and John 19 as well. But they see things through. And y'all, that's a great, that's a great mark of the believer. Again, in, in a world where we're pressed with so many things and so many commitments, for a believer to see things through, for a believer to keep their word, this ministry of completion is a great gift and a great model for us. They, John says about Jesus to his disciples in John 13, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus loved them to the end. These women faithfully putting themselves they know going in front of guards still risking they love jesus to the end what is the ministry that god has given to you to complete are are you are you are you taking your time with that are you hesitating on that they're of their word and they finish the task. And then lastly, there's this ministry of reward. Because of their faithfulness, Matthew 28, 8 through 10 says this. So the women hurled, uh, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The disciples are in hiding. They don't get to see first. Matter of fact, they're going to get a great commission in a minute, but here the women get the commission from Jesus Christ. Not only do they get to meet him, but they get the commission to go and to tell. Why do they receive this honor? Why do they receive this blessing? Why do they receive this reward? Because they put themselves in a position of serving. When we put ourselves in a position of humbling ourselves before the Lord and serving others, we have put ourselves in a place where we can receive of Jesus. We've put ourselves in a place where we can meet Jesus. And I wonder what I've missed in my life, what God had for me, the things God wanted to bless me with, my family with, my church families with, but we, we were just too busy. I didn't put myself in that position. Um, by giving of themselves, by following through, uh, they've put themselves in a place to meet Jesus. What about you this morning in your response to Christ where you are? In your work, with your family, uh, with, your co- with, with, with your neighborhood, with the so- social circles you have, with those who are on the margins in your life, how is it? How is it you can have a a ministry of of presence? How is it you need to have a ministry of holiness to to earn the right and to be able to share Christ clearly with others? What is that ministry of caring that God has gifted you with? And again, we might step back and say, oh no, not me. You couldn't use me. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Jesus will fight us at every point on that. All are called to be witnesses, witnesses to serve and to care, to live a life of holiness before, to complete the tasks and the work we've been given. That kind of serving uh, the Lord will bless. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word.
to see again faithful servants who loved you, loved you with their lives, loved enough to risk, loved enough to follow. Holy Spirit, just open our eyes to those around us that we might, because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, for how he cared for our souls in his cross, uh, help us to have a heart that is broken, to see the needs around us, to be faithful to follow through, to be faithful to live Christ's holy life so that we might have a ministry of caring and presence with others. And it is in your son's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.